like a bully in the playground, Leinster kick over sandcastles in Sandy Park, Exeter knocked out. Hello and welcome back to Blah Blah Rugby, the only podcast which truly treats women's rugby with the disdain it deserves. I'm here with Darren and Shane to look back over a brilliant weekend of Champions Cup quarterfinals and look ahead to Leinster's big semi-final with La Rochelle in a couple of weeks' time. Darren, Shane, how are we boys? Did we enjoy the rugby on the weekend? Luke, I told you to cut that from the intro. <laughs> well, which part? The part about... Myself and Shane would like to dissociate ourselves with that yeah. comment. Which which one? I, I, I just like to put it on record. Rugby. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting it on record here too. Like you're going to get all three. Just okay. because you don't work for a big company anymore, me and Darren can still get sacked. Okay, I'll put it on the record. Shane and Darren do not want to discuss rugby because they don't know anything about it. Um, Luke's really, he's really fitting in with the, the UAE kind of views <laughs> on women here, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> also associate from that comment because I will also get fired. And well, on that note, happy Ramadan to all of our um, Middle Eastern listeners as we look to expand to the Middle East um, as a podcast in weeks to come. Um, right, boys, let's go through some of the, the quarterfinals. Then I guess starting off with that La Rochelle sale quarterfinal. I know last week we sat down and. The two of you had only watched five-minute highlights of every single one of the games. Darren, did you get to watch this game this week? Um, I didn't get to watch as much okay. as I would have liked to because, firstly, Shane, I went over to Shane's and he was too busy uh, picking up someone else that it took too long. And so I missed like the first half. And then 20 minutes into the second half, the game was already over and we got hungry. So we wanted to go get food before the Grand National and the rugby. <laughs> so, so in conclusion, I watched more of La Rochelle this week than I did the week previous, but not too much. <laughs> okay, this would make some great analysis. Um, okay, of that 20 minutes then, I guess, what was your what was your takeaways from it? What do you think of the game? Um... Takeaways were that I was shocked that the La Rochelle scrum seemed to be destroying the Sale scrum. Like, Sale have a pretty decent pack there. Uh, and I saw one scrum in particular absolutely demolish them. Um, so that kind of, that worried me a bit just with view to the next round. But I know we'll touch on that later. Um, and they have some class backs going forward. As well, like Dumaru, Laid, Rule, Dulan, Botia, West is good going forward. So, a dangerous enough team, and like they seem well enough coached. Like a lot of their tries were off, like strike plays off, off scrums and lineouts. So, it wasn't just like a UA rugby, like they do can't play UA rugby, but um, they do have a bit of. Bit of a bit about them going forward as well. So, yeah, I, I was pretty impressed with them, albeit sale were sale. So, yeah. yeah. Shane, so I know obviously La Rochelle, first ever semi final they're into now. For you, does that 
I mean, is the route they've come through, essentially beating Gloucester, one of the poorest English sides at the moment, and then beating Sale, a team who's got no pedigree in the tournament, um, and aren't, you know, aren't, aren't really one of those huge English sides. Does that make it a bit less impressive how they've got here? No, they've they've beaten Reese Samet, who has a lot of speed. He's he's a big. We're a big fan of him. I don't think he knows who we are, unfortunately. Um, but that'll change. You know, we're going to explode <laughs> onto the scene at some point, hopefully. Um, and then you know, Sale has McGinty in ten, De Clerc like they're they're third in the Premiership. They're not a bad squad either. Um, I actually watched the extended highlights of this because the lads were hungry. Um, and didn't eat beforehand, even though I told them to. Um, one, I, I said it last week, Dylan Lades, another try. Um, West played well. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't he score a great try for the Auckland Blues against the Lions a few years ago? He did. Um, he beat the Lions. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a pacey man. And then they have Kerr Barlow, another Kiwi in at scrum half. I mean... I was surprised, right? I heard before the game that Ronan, I hadn't watched any of that Rochelle, really. I heard before the game that Ronan O'Gara wanted to play heads-up, free-flowing rugby, which is kind of the opposite of what you think of when you think of him as a general playing 10-man rugby. Um, but fuck me, they were good. I Like, if he came in and the Ireland team was playing like that, I'd be a happy one. Yeah, I mean, they do play good rugby. They got they got some really, really good players there. I think just to pick up on that point, Shane, actually, you mentioned about Ronan O'Gara. That commentary in the media this week has been really annoying me. Like, John O'Gibbs is the head coach, isn't he? And Ronan O'Gara is, like, the assistant coach, basically. So I'm not sure why it's O'Gara who gets all the credit. And, I mean, even I was watching this, and obviously when you're watching kind of BT Sport, they get the French pictures in. And they didn't show O'Gara once like in the crowd, it was just showing John O'Gibbs the whole time because for people in France who got no kind of connection to uh, O'Gara, like o- Gibbs is the main man there. Um, so I think he's been kind of completely overlooked as the person who's actually driving all of this change in La Rochelle. It's it's the Munster media bias. That's what's doing it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it actually is. It actually is. I mean, we've known existed for like a long time, but well, yeah, I, I, I won't get started on that because I'll sound like an absolute lunatic who's, uh, who, who's ranting and raving. Um, I'm Darren, uh, the thing I'd say about um, West, uh, actually not really to Darren, just more generally, is I think his goal kicking wasn't great. And I was looking at his percentages and he's not really a, a very solid kicker um, at 10. I know they have Jules Pisson as well. Was it, so I, I don't know if he like which one of them will start against us, but like you would probably want a more solid goal kicker than what they have in in West. Um, he he kind of reminds me of Brock James and like just I don't know it just feels a bit flaky. Yeah. Um, definitely definitely getting Brock James vibes from them and like I don't think Pleasons uh, maybe Pleasons a little more solid. I think Pleason will forever be kind of. Known for that guy who got absolutely mauled by Courtney Lowe's. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too too worried. Like, I I think he, I think West does have a bit of flair 
in attack, but I definitely think he would be vulnerable in terms of his kicking and defensively. Uh, yeah, I guess the big thing that we worry about is this kind of the size of the squad, given that we struggled against Harris inside. And you're going in with like people like Antonio, Danny Preso on the bench, and Will Skelton, who of course came from that Saris inside. Um, Audrey, you know, Gordon, Victor Vito. It's like a very powerful, big, big pack. Darren, watching that, would you be kind of worried about like Leinster coming up a team of that size? Um, yeah, a bit, but like Exeter, Exeter aren't small lads themselves, and I think like it's it's a concern if if there's poor weather about, but and if we get off to a slow start, but I think I think it's I think we can cope with it. Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll look onto that one later. I thought we could maybe cover off the two Sunday games together because shockingly with Bordeaux playing Rasting at home and Clermont playing Toulouse at home, we saw absolutely no tries in 160 minutes. There aren't the most talking points of this. Shane, you're a massive fan of Jalibert. You've been calling him out in the pod for a few weeks. How good was he in that Bordeaux Racing game? How good is his fresh And it was immaculate. Made me miss my barber. Um, I bothered the, the minor brain fart he had at the 78th or 79th minute when he gave away a penalty, trying to do a bit too much. But I think he just knew this would make it a better game. So he said, you know what? need to give Racing one last chance and then put the nail in the coffin. Um, but on on a serious note, going forward, he was brilliant. Um, I, I think I've, I've mentioned before on here how I, I quite like Entomac, but I thought Jalibert's play with ball in hand was fantastic. Um, and if I was, if if you were the French coach, you'd really, it'd be tough to leave either of them out at the moment. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's been playing brilliantly, right? Darren, for me, when I saw that result, I was well, I watched it, but I was I was delighted that Racing got knocked out, and I think from my perspective, I would be more afraid of Racing in a way than than I would be of Toulouse. Um, how big a deal is it, is it that Racing got knocked out there and they're going to face them in, in this um in this tournament? Yeah, I, th- I think it was really really positive from a Lancer perspective that. That Rossi got knocked out. Like they had a load of injuries as well, didn't they? They were missing Thomas, Teddy Thomas, Vakatawa, Chevron C, like a lot, uh, even Simon Zebo. Um, like they, uh, I don't know. I, I think that that game was crying out for a penalty shootout. I'd have loved to, I think that's the only thing that could have saved that game. Would have loved to see that. But oh my God, how shit was it? It was yeah. so, so bad. It, I, I thought that the Claremont-Toulouse game, I watched that, and it was, again, there was no try scored. But with the conditions, it was pouring rain. But they actually both tried to play some nice rugby at times. It was actually quite an entertaining match, I thought. Yeah, um, I, th- I think the first half was it was better than the second. The second, it kind of just, the conditions got the better of it, I thought. And yes. It, yeah, it just kind of got into a bit more of a kicking battle. But I agree, they did try and play... They tried to play more rugby than the Bordeaux and Rasson, than Bordeaux and Rasson did in the lovely weather beforehand. I know, yeah, the Bordeaux Rasson game was literally awful to watch. It was basically like pasture play, someone would knock on or would lose the ball. 
swap to the other team. They just try and get just inside of the person's half to get a penalty and then kick that penalty and repeat. It was it was really, really poor to watch. Um, Shane, Claremont, perennial underachievers again. They got knocked out with the hands of Toulouse. Uh, how impressed were you by Toulouse in that performance? And also, I suppose, Entomark as well, again, getting man of the match. Yeah, look, another another good performance from a French fly half. And I think it's it ironed out for me. I think it confirmed Toulouse are, are the team left that I'd be most worried about playing. Um, even in ugly conditions, they, they managed to win and I think they were good value for it. I, I think it all comes back to, you know, the, the rumours we've heard about Claremont. Ever since a mysterious Luke got his company to sponsor their jersey, uh, they've gone backwards. And we have to question that, that link between this potentially dirty money they're they're receiving and <laughs> Yeah, maybe that is maybe that is the case. Uh, Darren, what did you think of this uh, this game then? Um Toulouse kind of just seemed to have a bit more nice than Claremont in the end, like taking those penalties when it really mattered. Yeah, I think it's it was summed up at the end when Para missed the kick, like to I think to bring Claremont back within like uh, within seven Six points, points to give them a, a slight chance at the end and like it was a poor kick and I think that just pretty much summed up Claremont in general there, like it just not good enough. Uh, really really disappointing because I think if Lancer weren't going to go on and win, they'd all be kind of, that. they'd be the team that we'd like to go and yeah. see do it. Um, particularly because Toulouse have the same same amount of uh, Champions or Heineken Cup wins as us. Um, so I think I think that Toulouse getting through there was a bit of a disappointment from a Lancer perspective. Yeah, I know Bordeaux are going to Toulouse um, in the next round. Personally, after seeing those performances, I wouldn't really give Bordeaux much chance at all of winning that game, to be honest. I don't know if Darren, Shane, you think any differently. Can Jolly Bear single-handedly basically overturn to lose? No. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Shane's a full-on Jolly Bear convert now after being, being an Entomac man. He's, he's converted. He, he's dumped, he's dumped, like, John Cooney, he's never mentioned the podcast anymore. He's he done then. He's not in the tournament this year. What can I say? Yeah, but it feels like you're just using these players for their haircuts, and as soon as they become a bit out of fashion, you uh, you dump them and move on to the next best man. Have you considered that maybe I'm just going through a crisis because I haven't been able to get a proper haircut for four months? You know? <laughs> My mental health is important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not uh, okay, well, this is just as typical of you, really, on this podcast, you know, belittling the important things like good haircuts and women's rugby. <laughs> Do you know what? I actually want to talk about that because I watched the game. You watched women's rugby? I did. Well, that means you would have had to actually watch the highlights because I know you weren't watching the live. I know, I watched it back, and it is the highlights, but it was the extended highlights, and the Irish scrum was fantastic. I know Wales are, aren't great, but I'll actually be interested. Sorry, one, sorry, sorry, Shane, can I jump in? Can someone turn their phone onto, like, or just chuck it across the room? Because I okay. keep hearing it vibrate. 
and it's it's a height of it's a height of unprofessionalism. Like. Yeah, I know. And if there's one thing we are on this part a podcast, it's professional, isn't it? Yeah, no, um, that was mine. <laughs> uh, Shane, you actually maybe it was a sign trying to tell you to stop talking about women's rugby. Maybe did, did Wales no. score a single point? No, no, they haven't, scored, they haven't scored a point in their two games so far. <laughs> um, and look. I actually want to have a separate discussion on the fact that I don't think the women's Six Nations should follow the same format as the men's when you have countries like Spain who are stronger than some of the women's teams who were kicked out so that they could align with the men's. I don't think it's fair. Um, and I think it's a discussion we should take seriously on this on this podcast because at the end of the day, I know the quality probably definitely isn't where the men's game is. And it let's be realistic, it probably never will be. But I mean, if I had a daughter, I'd like her to think there's a chance for her to to play some level of, of elite sport. I mean, I'm not expecting her to make six hundred grand a year with Johnny Sexton, but it'd be Shane, when you're when you're talking about quality of the Spanish women's team, are you talking looks wise? No, no, uh, like legitimately higher ranked in the world and significantly better at actual rugby. Um, I, this is actually me making a, a semi-serious point for once that I don't think it's best for women's sport to just latch on to the existing men's structures. Well, if we if we can't change that on this part, I don't know how it will change. Look, it's just something to think about. If you're watching one of the women's games, when we talk about Italy getting removed from the men's competition for Georgia or play on for something, but it's a far bigger crime that Spain aren't in the women's Six Nations. I mean, I think I'd like to apologize to our listeners. I know we, I know this whole podcast is a complete waste of their time, but I feel like discussing <laughs> women's rugby makes it even more of a waste of their time than it already was. Um, so maybe maybe we'll bleep that whole part out, Shane. I don't think we should. I think it's the, the second good contribution I've had. <laughs> um, I do agree with you, it should stand on its own two feet rather than constantly leeching off the men's game. But surely standing on its own two feet means that they use the money they make to fund their own kind of salaries rather than taking money handouts from the IRFU. I mean, I we mean, live in... We, we live in a well you two live in a country where the biggest sport is amateur they're not paid so i mean these women's rugby players which are generating basically no money themselves why should they be paid i mean we could say the same about monster with the amount of support they get that's more like it Jay. that is more like it that's what we love to hear yeah love to hear it um, Moving on, I think we redirect the monster funds to the women's team and onwards and upwards. Um, I'd be okay with that, actually. I actually would be okay with that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am I'm single-handedly solving sexism on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Racism this week. One week at a time, guys. <laughs> um, I think we've covered off probably the, the three quarterfinals then. I guess moving on to the big one, Exeter Leinster. You boys watched this together. Darren, what was the mood like in the room when Leinster went 14-0 down after eight minutes? Uh, well, I was going to say depressing, but Shane seemed to be 
loving it. And he he was he was fishing for for a reaction from from you in the WhatsApp group. Um, I was appalled. I was appalled at his reaction. Uh, I was there down in the dumps thinking, God, this is so so depressing. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think that Shane guy is a, a closet extra fan. I think Shane is by far the worst Lenser fan I've ever met. I think the only thing he cares about is the haircuts and Josh Murphy. Um, I did Shane, ask. I, I did ask him if Josh is playing. Would your reaction be different? Um, I can't remember what his answer was. To be honest, Shane, what say you? How do you defend yourself on those accusations from Darren? Uh, I'd say this: one, you're too easy to wind up, Luke. And two, you're both doubting Thomas's. You know, Leinster went 14-0 down and you both said game over. I said, get it back to down seven by halftime and they'll win. They were winning at halftime. You know, I just have this confidence because I'm always right. This belief. Luke, you're over there. You were probably about to hang yourself outside <laughs> your room. In I, did, I did find it entertaining how Luke went from the start of the week when we recorded the podcast to being actually somewhat confident for a game. And then there was some kind of news about Jack Noel being fit again. And suddenly Leinster can't win. Jack Noel didn't even play a part in the game. I don't know where this came from, but I think Luke just has like yeah. some bizarre mindset where Leinster have to be underdogs for them to have a chance. Well, Darren, you actually gave me credit last week. Because it was the first one ever predicted a Leinster win in this podcast. Yeah, and then you went I'm completely right. back on your word. There is no audio evidence to suggest that is the case. There is visual evidence of your your regular bet three six five uh, bet <laughs> against Leinster. <laughs> with the with the amount stake blurred out for some some reason. <laughs> I, think, I think you've emptied your account because you keep backing against Leinster. I actually look back at my history. I've lost my last eight bets in a row and they're all on Leinster to lose. There you go. Yeah. Case uh, closed. Yeah, one of these days will be right, though. Uh, uh, but in, in a in kind of more serious, um, what's the word? News. More serious. No, not news. In more serious <laughs> conversation. I don't know. I've lost my train of thought. Uh, Darren, when we went 14-0 down, I was kind of sitting here watching it by myself and all I was thinking was, this is Saracens all over again. Um, how do you think that, like, do you think that it's kind of, yeah, do you, <laughs> do you think that's what's, true? What's the question? Oh, I don't really know. Basically, <laughs> basically, the first eight minutes, I thought it was like Saracens all over again. Were you thinking the same thing? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, like, they seem to just have us physically in in that first, like in the opening stage of the game. And I thought, like, the, the point where I thought it was game over wasn't when the second try went in. It was when they uh, when they got a penalty when we were actually in their 22 up on their line and they turned, I think it was Johnny Hill who turned it over. Um, that was the point when I was like, Crap, we're not coming back into this. I thought, I thought after the first two tries, it could be a high-scoring affair. But after seeing that, and then being able to cope with us uh, defensively, I was really, really, really worried. Yeah, yeah. I think at that point as well, I, I was. I think I sent a text saying game over. No, I think you said it after the second try, so I had slightly more faith. Faith. Uh, in you. Okay. 
Okay. And Shane, how did like Leinster go about basically turning it around? What's your in-depth analysis of how that happened? Don't let the unfortunately not Irish qualified Exeter back run through open gaps repeatedly, or at least don't let it happen as often. He still did it one more time in the game, but you know, kind of helps when they can't just slice right through the center of your defense. How is he not Irish qualified with that name? I, I don't know. It's, sounds, it's a, that's like the ar- most Irish sounding name in the whole like the whole thirty man squad. Then. Because he's black. Darren, I mean, again, I'm professional, laughing away while in the middle of a podcast there. Uh, I know on the at the time in the WhatsApp group, you said that. I think it was you, said that basically those two tries were simple missed tackles. I actually have watched it back. I disagree with that assessment. I think both of the tries initially... I don't remember saying that. Well, it doesn't matter. I've put those words in your mouth now anyway, so you have to own them. But I looked back, and I think both of those tries were basically system failures for me, not actually... Like, system failures, which meant that Hugo Keenan um, had to make a very difficult tackle for the first try, and Larmer to make a very difficult defensive tackle for the second try. It was a system that kind of broke. We weren't getting out to those wide spaces and pushing out our defence quickly enough. Um, I, I, I'd agree on the second try. Yeah, I agree with that. On the first try, I thought it was like a very smart play from from uh, Exeter. Um, like Ali Devoto bumped into Robbie Henshaw as a decoy runner. And if you watch it back... Henshaw loses his feet, uh, gets up and nearly makes the tackle on O'Flaherty. And if he hadn't been bumped, he would have made that tackle, not calling for a penalty or anything there. I thought it was a really smart play, just one of those dark arts. If you get away with it, it's a it's a nice piece of play. Thinking about the second try again, it, we were actually quite unlucky that I think Reese Ruddock turned yeah. it over. Um in some sometimes that's given as a penalty as well when the the attacking team loses the ball and then gets it back in the same play. Um, so I think I'd, I haven't watched it back fully to see how our defense was set after that. But yeah, I I think they were like I don't I wouldn't put too much. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about the Keenan and Larmer miss tackles. Um, even though probably Larmer has a bit of a rep for that at this stage. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be either, but it'd be more the system I'd be worried about, given the fact that teams like La Rochelle and Toulouse, I think, would be better able to exploit us in that area than Exeter would be. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how Kyle Leo and Stuart work on that in the next few weeks. Speaking of turnovers, Shane, what did you make of Matty Reynal's performance in, in this match? I thought he was very the blow for turnovers at the Rock. Um, very quick to blow for turnovers at the Rock. Blow for penalties, rather, for, for holding on. Um, Shane usually we, likes quick to blow. <laughs> um, no, I thought that, that helped Leinster, I think, establish dominance there, and that was the platform they used to go on and win the game. 
Yeah, I actually I agree with that as well. I think um well I thought Matt had an absolutely shocking performance. Like I thought he was he missed so much. Um like there was crooked line outs, obviously was the two kind of controversial high shots on Ross Byrne. Um but I agree with you, Shane. I think a lot of Leinster's turnovers, we were going over the top of the ball, putting our hands on the ground first, and in some cases never even actually getting onto the ball. And yet right now was blowing a penalty against us or against them, Exeter for it. And um, it, I agree with Shane. It actually saved us and allowed us to get back in the game. A great turnover by Kelleher, kind of Henshaw, um, Van der Fleer come to mind in that sense. But it was like, I think Leinster got credit, should get credit for recognising that Reynal wasn't actually punishing it, so just kept doing it. But it's it's just terrible refereeing. Um, but thank, I think, I'll probably on the balance, I mean, both teams got away with stuff. Um, but it really did help Leinster being able to get those those turnover penalties. Darren, who were kind of like the standout performers for you from a, from a Leinster side? Uh, I think you could highlight our whole back row is having really strong games collectively. I think Van der Fleer get like stood out. Um I think it's basically since you called him out on the pod, Luke, that he's yeah. his form has reinvigorated. So must be welcome, must Josh. be a listener. Must be a You're listener. Welcome, Josh. Yeah. Um I think he's been really, really impressive in recent weeks. Um Henshaw again, I think he's in the form of his life. I think he is in a world fifteen makes a world fifteen with Two other Leinster players, I think, at the moment make a World 15, and one of them is completely left Furlong. field. Yeah, one of them is Furlong, but one of them is completely left field. But I actually, no, I think he is class. Um, Who? Before before I get onto that, because he's also star forward that I want to touch on, but I need to give out a shout shout out to my boy Jordan Larmer. I uh, thought yeah. he was really really good in attack. Few vulnerabilities, unfortunately, in the air. He dropped it, um, and obviously the missed tackle for the second try. But going forward, I thought he was really, really good. Two yeah. really good finishes for the tries. Um, I know you criticised him if he hadn't scored the first one, but I think the bursts of acceleration that he had initially was what allowed him to score the try. And also the fact, I think, his... Um, kind of reputation in being able to step, and I think I think Hogg missed the tackle potentially both both times or didn't get the tackle in. And with Larma, you would have nearly been expecting them to step in, but going for it in the corner, um, I thought that that was really impressive. So big. that's actually that's actually a really interesting point, Darren. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're you're right, and I hadn't noticed. I I, I was going to give credit to Larma as well because I've been very critical of him at times. Um, but I thought it was his best performance in a while. But I'm, I haven't thought of it before, but I'm guessing that's a coaching point because Stuart and, and Leo are probably saying to him, look, everyone knows you're going to step in. That's kind of been sussed out now. You need to kind of add strings to your bow. And, and you're right. I, yeah, he, he never even looked to go inside in those two cases, but the defenders were worried about it. And um, in both cases, he got past Hogg. And the second time, he got past O'Flaherty and it twisted past Joe Simmons as well. Um, yeah, again, you'd still be worried about him under the high ball. Um, I wouldn't be so worried about the tackles thing. Yes, he does sometimes slip off them, but I think they're yeah covering tackles. He did a great him. tackle actually on Johnny Gray uh, during the game. I think we got a turnover from it, or we were able to hold hold him up. So I think yes. he does deserve some credit there. Last person, uh, 
Well, I thought, sorry, Ron Keller, again, I thought he had a really, really good game. Probably yeah. probably the key player and turned in around in that first half nearly with the, the turnovers. Be- but he's the best, the best hooker for me in the, in like, in the loose. In Ireland. In the loose. Yeah, but I think his line of throwing and obviously his scrummaging has improved. Uh, shout out to Robin McBride as well, by the way, who's obviously turned things around so much since our, since our weapon, our scrum looks like a real weapon now. But, He's got much better at line of throwing. Um, and, yeah, for me, he's streets ahead of any hooker in the league. Well, maybe. It, what's the guy who plays for um, uh, Toulouse? Marshall? Is it Marshall? Yeah, Julian Marshall. Yeah, he's been he's very good and impressed with him as well. But Keller, for me, is right up there. And, Darren, who is this illustrious star player that you're kind of leaving the contender hooks for so he, so he didn't even start the game but he came off the bench Ryan, Ryan Baird Ryan Baird I thought he was unbelievable yeah two well one crucial line out steal for Larmer's Larmer's try that put us back ahead in the game or were we 23-22 ahead or we, no, were... we, we were we were ahead before Larmer's try but it put us more than a score ahead yeah it was such a, such an important line out steal and it wasn't just that like some of his hits in defence were were really, really good. I was worried. <clears throat> we all watched um, Leinster A against Ulster A, I think, at the start of this year. And he actually played in that game. And he was anonymous. But it was the first bad match that I've ever seen him play. And I was worried that that could be a sign of things. Because I've hyped this guy up to be, like I think I said a couple of pods ago, that he will be our most important player going into next World Cup. So... To see him have that game, I was really disappointed. But I'd like to be able, I'd like to be able to put that down to kind of the head injury that he suffered around Christmas time. Potentially he had COVID as well. Um, I don't know. I know one Lancer player did, so maybe maybe you can credit that to him. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I've, I've that in my head as well. I thought he was like absolutely sensational. I know. I think that. We actually wanted him to be on the bench because he gives us that impact. And without him on the bench, your impact is kind of lost. Shane, if we look ahead to a semi-final at La Rochelle, let's assume that James Ryan is back. I think the, the word in the media is that he will be back for it. What is your starting second row for that? And what is who's on the bench? I think oof, probably... <sighs> I don't know, Luke. That's that's a good question. I, I'd say I'd keep James Ryan and Fardy in the second row and, and bring Baird off the bench and drop Toner. What about Jay? Oh, what? Scott Fardy? No. I, I actually thought Scott Fardy, I've got it written down here, to ask a question to, to both of you. I think Scott Fardy was poor in that game and I think he, he's kind of passed. I think... A, I think there's a few cases where I noticed where he went into contact and he got dominated in contact or lost rucking, lost rucks because he he just doesn't have the physicality anymore. He's 37 going on 38. Um, yeah, for me, I, I think maybe Fardy would be dropped out of that, that kind of second row and I'd probably look to do Ryan and Baird from the beginning um, and then have Toner on the bench maybe. Darren, what would you think? I, it, it depends how quickly Ryan comes back from his injury. I, I do. I I agree with your point about Baird off the bench, but I think I'd nearly go Baird and Toner and potentially Ryan off the bench. I think Toner is really important for Mull. Um, the uh, Dave Yours try 
from the mall. Um, like it looked a really poor mall defence from Leinster, but Toner yeah. just slipped out. He had to slip out because he came in slightly in the side, and I think he's so important for our mall defence that, especially against someone like Lara, like a big team like La Rochelle, I'd want him there. And that line out often just gives Kelleher like an easy option to go to as well. Even though I think both Ryan and Baird are strong in the air, I nearly. It's, it would be tough on Ruddock, but I nearly go Ryan Toner and Baird at six. Wow, that would be that would be a big call. That would be a very big call. It'd be so harsh on Ruddock, but I just think if, if if Ryan can get back to the form we know he can be in, I think Baird nearly demands to be starting at this stage. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the problem I think is that you really want Bears the impact off the bench because he really offers something coming on that kind of people like Toner people like Fardy don't offer. I actually think I hadn't thought of it, but I think you're right, Dan. I think if I, I I would go for maybe Toner Bar Bar to start, and then have um Ryan coming off as kind of serious impact if he gets kind of you know sixty minutes on on, on his legs um against Munster. Um Shane. Again, going back to this haircut conversation, another man with a great haircut, Ross Byrne. How impressed were you with him when he came on after just kind of 18 minutes to replace Johnny? Or was it 28 minutes, maybe, to replace Johnny? Yeah, he was nearly as good as his little brother. <laughs> um, no, I thought he had a good game. I Like, he's a good player. I think he gets a lot of hate because he's yeah. not a flash. But he does what you always say, Luke. He does the basics well. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Funny, you, funny you mentioned the basics, but I, I'd imagine Luke, you were probably going to make the point about how the basics nearly did win Leinster this game. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was going to make the point at some stage. I think after the Saracens game, the three of us had a big chat in the Watts group, along with the friends of the pod, Daniel Lewis, um, and Killian Young, Ryan Bailey, and uh, who else? Tim Blyden, I guess, kind of got involved. <laughs> um, <laughs> But what what I think my big kind of criticism of Leinster then was that there was too many players who weren't good enough at the basics at that level. So Luke McGrath, I remember in that game against Saracens, threw some awful passes which put us under pressure. We were losing lineouts um, um, when Keller came on. Um, Larmer was losing high ball contests. It was just kind of basic things that we were failing with. I think my point was that to be a top team, your first thing is just be good at your basics. I think if we look at where we've come from as a team, 12 months on, Robin McBride's obviously done a great job in scrum and line out, um, where our props got kind of demolished that day. Um, but even people like Kelleher, I think his throwing's improved greatly. Larmore probably hasn't had the improvement that others have had, but I think he is probably in a better place than he was this time last year in terms of his high ball skills. McGrath's um, another that you could probably call out as not improving there as well. Like he threw some really poor passes in the first half against Exeter that put us behind the game line. He did, he did. But once he got going, he was very good. But that's, I think that is the thing with McGrath. When he's under pressure, he does kind of throw some bad passes sometimes, which is obviously a concern when you're coming up uh, against better and better teams. But for me, I thought Ross Byrne was like, absolutely brilliant in every facet. Like Obviously, his kicking was great. But he brought the ball to the line a lot more than we would have kind of seen from him before. And defensively as well, he made 12 out of 12 tackles. And some of the tackles he made were like properly big tackles. Like one of them in particular... Um, Josh Renderfleet was able to get over him because he because he essentially Ross Byrne knocked um, one of the Exeter flankers back in his tracks 
and Ross Byrne was it, or, and Van der Fee was able to get over and get a poach and steal. Um, Darren, would Ross Byrne, is there, is there a question now was whether to Ross Byrne starts against La Rochelle? Um, I, I don't think so. I don't know. It's probably not a good enough reason, but you couldn't bank on having Johnny Sexton on the bench because say you bring on Sexton um, after 50 minutes, you can't really trust him to play half an hour. And I think Ross Byrne's such a luxury to have on the bench to, to come off it because you're you're happy with him playing however many minutes now. Well, I think there's a risk that we don't get Johnny back for this because I think um, he's had three HIA incidents in the last kind of three months, three or four months, uh, including one kind of Leinster-Munster and then one two weeks later Leinster-Exeter. Uh, that he's had to come off with almost immediately. So there's a risk we don't get him back. And I think in years gone by, I'd have been like shitting it, basically thinking that's game over if we don't have Johnny starting for us. Whereas now, I'd almost be tempted to start Ross Byrne um, in these big games, just the way he kind of... I think Johnny's just crest that hill and he's on the way down very clearly at the moment. I think it's time to hand the reins to Ross Byrne. And Shane, we could be looking at a Ross Byrne starting against La Rochelle and Harry Byrne on the bench. How would you feel about Harry Byrne coming on the European semi-final? Why is he not starting? (laughs) (laughs) He's a confident player. You have to start him. I'd definitely be giving him games in the next few weeks in the, the Rainbow Cup. I I nearly started him against Munster yeah as would I I'd love to kind of bring a lot of the injury guys back and and bring them in Um, another player I guess we talked a good bit about Leinster players one player that I thought I'd mention um, and it's a guy that we had all called out as a brilliant player before this game Sam Simmons is this game a kind of an indication as to why Eddie Jones doesn't pick him for England and why he won't be going on the Lions tour is he a bit of a flat track bully? Like when when that's a really tough, almost test level match intensity, he doesn't have kind of the size or the to make hard yards um, in, in close contact. And um, maybe it's like someone like Reese Ruddock does. I don't think he's as intelligent as Josh van der Fleer um, or as much of a footballer as Jack Conan. Uh, is that kind of reactionary, Darren, or do you think that perhaps this is why he's not getting picked at the top level? I think that's a fair point. That. But he hasn't had too many opportunities against, like he he did do well, pretty well as as far as I can remember against Racing in the in the Champions Cup uh, final last year. Um, and he hasn't really he hasn't really got that opportunity internationally. So I I I do agree with you that he's pretty anonymous in in the game at the weekend. But I wouldn't I wouldn't rule him out solely because of it i'm not really mad but i think as well that when you play teams like racing and toulouse and clermont um, and they played toulouse and racing in their kind of semi-final and final last year though the way those teams play it does present opportunity because there's a lot of broken field play there's a lot of kind of spaces to attack because they kind of go all out in their attacks um so you are afforded opportunity for that whereas teams like leinster i think and like saracens teams like that would probably, in my mind, be a lot closer to a way a lot of the international rugby teams play, especially kind of maybe if you're looking at Six Nations like Wales, that will play quite similar, like kind of more, more kind of very more structured uh, as opposed to the French teams. South Africa, who will, but Lions are going to be playing 
will play a lot more structured than the French teams. Um, so especially if you're going to have kind of Hamish Watson at seven, who I've seen like articles flying around this week about him being maybe too light at 100 kilos. It's, it's, it's Sam Simmons a luxury we can't really afford is, is I guess, the uh, the question. Well, like the, the number eights who are kind of in contention for the Lions jersey, and you asked me about Jack Conan's chances, and I think he'd be, he had an outside chance, but, but that's because... That's a drop-off, sorry. <laughs> no worries, Shane. <laughs> We're really going to miss your input. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap up without Shane then. Shane's now logged off. Sorry to all the fans of Shane out there um, who listen to me for him uh, and his hair, side, hair insight. Um, sorry, Dan, you were saying about Jack Cohn and his Lions opportunities. Yeah, it, it's just like if you look through like the other contenders for for the eight jersey, it's like Salatau's probably nailed on. But who like Billy Vunapola has been was pretty terrible in the Six Nations. So who else is kind of in contention for a number eight jersey? And he's only playing championship. All those Saracens yeah. players are only playing championships. Watch, I think Warren Gatlin won't like. They'll basically be coming in very, very light on proper game time. Yeah, and it, that that cost England in the Six Nations. It it definitely did. I agree with that. Any more Leinster players kind of put their hand up? Is I mean. I think Josh is unlucky in the sense that it's probably the Lions' strongest position yeah. with Hamish Watson, Tom Curry, and Justin Tipperick, for my mind, being Underhill unbelievable. As Underhill as well, yeah, it's coming back being unbelievable kind of sevens, like absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think you'd need a few injuries, wouldn't he? Yeah, but is anyone else in terms of perhaps kind of Kelleher, yeah. um, Porter, even maybe putting their hands up for Lions selection? Yeah, I was thinking Callagher, Porter. I think Baird, like, I know I've banged the drum on him, but I think he's a bolter as well, potentially, for for the Lions. Um, I think Hugo Keenan as well. Um, I think I know that's another really stacked position, but if you want someone who's solid early, he's, he's another one who has an outside chance. I think Henshaw's nailed on, Furlong's nailed on um, James Ryan I would have said is nailed on but I don't know now the, the second row is pretty strong and you might go with someone like Baird who can cover second row and back row I'd be very surprised if Baird makes it I'd be very very surprised I mean, he's barely played European rugby Like he's come on as a sub but not as a, a key player really has he in big games He's he's got to be the best in the world. I I actually agree with you. I I think he's got the combination of athleticism, intelligence, power. He's got everything. Um, but this line sort of may be coming six months too early from. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a fair point. Yeah. I think um, I think Larmer as well. Like I think another outside chance, but I think Larmer and Lowe both did themselves. It'd be interesting to see how much kind of Gatlin puts them. Uh, Champions Cup kind of performances because based on Six Nations you you wouldn't have a lot of Ireland players in there but Champions Cup could get a few Leinster players back into the fray It could yeah if we put in a big performance in Plus with Rob McBride being included in the, the coaching title. Yeah I think that's very beneficial as well yeah um, Yeah I think to mention actually to touched on low there I was kind of in the build up I said I was very worried about him defensively um, 
Yeah, you said we'd lose, lose the game because James Lowe started that, you didn't you? I did to that, yeah. Yeah, great prediction by me again. But I think he played well um, well in parts in the game. I don't think he was fantastic. I think Lauren was kind of definitely the superior winger. Um, he obviously made a lot of ground on that left wing, especially in the first half. He does have a tendency to kind of, you know, step to the outside and try to use power handoff to get past people all the time and like throwing off their back in. It is a bit predictable. I'd like to see him mix it up a bit, maybe. Um, but saying that, it is kind of successful for Leinster in creating space. I think an interesting thing, just to what well, I thought was interesting, um, when I watched it back, I, I kind of was saying that what I was worried about though was obviously being that kind of defender on the edge when when teams are attacking him. And something I noticed in this match is that usually when you're kind of setting up a defensive back line, you would have kind of off a scrum, say, you would have your 10 you'd have your 12, you'd have your 13. And then like your left winger, in this case, low, will be kind of floating between covering the backfield and stepping up onto the line if the ball starts coming across. And then at the very edge, you have your fullback who's kind of covering the whole defensive line, running behind it. And then he runs around kind of the winger and gets the last man, whoever that last man is. So in this case, Exeter's winger. Um, I noticed that Leinster actually mixed that up and essentially instead of having Keenan running around to be the last man, Keenan ran around and went in between ring rows and low. So they obviously identified that they'd prefer to have Keenan defending in that kind of really kind of tricky 13, outside 13 channel and have low kind of in a comparably easier um, defensive position where it's kind of a one-on-one on the wing and there's probably less decision-making about when to bite in or, or when to kind of stay out. That's some top quality analysis there. Did Murray Kinsler replace Shane on this call? <laughs> that's what I, I actually, yeah, I, I took a time. Well, I was so bored in work yesterday. I basically watched the whole match back. And yeah, that was a thing I noticed. I think I told you about the other, um, the other piece where McGrath was essentially defending in the Exeter line, in the centre uh, attacking line at times, which again was a really interesting tactic. It's cool to see Lancer kind of trying those things out. And I think it's, again, it's a credit to the coaches that we have, Lancaster, um, Colin and, and Robin McBride as well, and Contrapomi indeed as well, who kind of nice and nice happy moves the other day. Um, Darren, looking ahead then, very briefly, I'm going to have a preview chat um, when Shane gets back fully or in a couple of weeks um, to look ahead to La Rochelle. How are you feeling about it now? Are you positive? Are you negative? What kind of odds should we be expecting to see on this game? Um... Well, I, I did see the odds there, and you'll, you'll probably say they're wrong. Um, and I wouldn't disagree with you. Yeah, go for it. So I would put the line probably Leinster minus five. Oh, really? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's what? extremely confident for you. Uh, the line's minus six, which I thought was a couple of points high. I, I just I, I have a fear that the... It's not so much the Raj factor, and I think that's what's going to get all the focus. It's the John O'Gibbs factor. Like, as you said earlier in the pod, like, he was fourth coach for Leinster for six years in our glory days as well. Mm. Like, I think he's going to know Leinster as well as anyone. So he'll have picked up on all our, like, defensive vulnerabilities that were kind of, like, that you could see clearly in the first 10 minutes against Axter. So I'm worried about this guy. I think it was the second hardest draw that we could have. And honestly, I felt so deflated after the draw because you made us think that it was (laughs) two-legged. 
you gave us fake news. And I thought, oh, this is grand. We get second leg home back in the RDS. That's fine. Um, and then immediately my hopes were crushed. So I'm feeling very, very um, pessimistic about this one. Wow, that's, that's actually unusual because I'm actually feeling comparatively optimistic to what I usually feel. I just think that... I think I've touched on it before. Ex, like La Rochelle are basically in their first European semi-final. Um, I know it's obviously not a guaranteed thing, but teams usually kind of have to go through a bit of pain before getting to kind of that that, that big day out for the final. Um, I think they've got some fantastic players and they've got some fantastic kind of strengths in terms of their scrummaging and things, but they have, in my mind, been playing weaker teams. I mean, in, in Gloucester and in Sale, I'm not actually particularly impressed with that Sale side. Um, Actually, an interesting side note. I know Alex Sanderson, he used to coach with Saracens, who I've forgotten he actually coached there. When I saw him, uh, I was actually couldn't decide whether I was up for La Rochelle or Alex or um, Sale. I hate them so much. Apparently, in the build up, Alex Sanderson paid to have a World War II bomb shell sent to La Rochelle as part of their team motivation tactics because. I, and I, I don't know what the reason why, but he did that and he, he got it shipped to um to La Rochelle. But what? in the second, yeah, this is mental. But in the Second World War, the Allies bombed La Rochelle a lot because there was submarines, like Nazi submarines, basically based there, and um, because it's right at the Atlantic coast. I don't know if Alex Anderson is coming up with some crap like he did with the Saracens Wolfpack thing and saying we're going to bomb La Rochelle or whatever he was kind of coming up with in that. But I just thought it was completely bizarre and it's like i think i think a lot of the people from like i think alex anderson in particular talks a lot about the culture in cyrus and the wolf pack mentality and that's what made the difference whereas basically it was them shooting the sally cap that made the difference and you could have put any kind of stupid it's almost like a management consultant style thing of let's frame the like the let's frame the kind of whole culture in this way it was just really weird i thought um, and I was we, could have shame. We, them. we need Shane back on the pod to discuss that consultancy kind of crap. Yeah, uh, but that's that's uh, like that seems completely counterintuitive. That seems like it would be like riling Larishelle players up. Like, yeah, I, 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 that's bizarre. And I didn't see it on any TV or anything like that, so I don't know if like they actually showed Larishelle or if it was something they had like the training ground or their hotel or whatever. Um, and it was supposed to be some stupid psychological thing, but yeah, that that is what happened. He he shipped it across, um, which is which is very very odd. Um, but yeah, sorry. Back to my point. I think they've played probably slightly comparatively weaker teams. Um, I just think they'll offer a degree of looseness that Exeter didn't, and Leinster kind of can thrive on that. And also the pressure, Leinster. Yes, okay, our first ten minutes was bad defensively, but the pressure we exerted defensively once we got our systems going, um and up to kind of full speed i think french teams probably generally will struggle under that and another point to consider is that it'll be a guaranteed non french ref which i think is a really big advantage for us um because it'll probably be an english ref who will presumably know better um so yeah i'm kind of feeling relatively also if we get ryan we get ring rose get doris if we get um penny back potentially we've all of a sudden then got a really strong bench as well whereas we didn't i felt feel have a strong bench in um in the extra match, even though the bench did come on and perform absolutely brilliantly, I think we'll have a stronger bench for for La Rochelle. So, I think I would have Leinster by maybe three or four points in this game to win. I'm glad we have this optimism on record now because 
I'm sure the week that we're recording before the final or before the semi-final, something like Robbie Henshaw will break his nail and you'll be like, no, this, no way Leinster can win now. La Rochelle minus 20 should be the handicap. What are Paddy Parrott thinking? <laughs> you know what? You're probably, you're probably bang on. Um, well, we don't want to like eat in too much to all of the insight we're going to have for that podcast, Aaron. So, Let's wait till Shane is back and give our fans something to look forward to for the next few weeks. So, Darren, thank you very much for joining me on this pod, as usual. And uh, also thank you to Shane, who's obviously disappeared, run off to get some waffles, whatever he was doing this time. His his contribution for the last 20 minutes there is as good as it was for the first 40 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all that remains to say is thank you to our loyal listeners for listening in. If you do have any questions, please email blahblahrugby at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come on you boys in blue.